together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word together. And we pray tonight that you speak to our hearts and minds, that, that your Holy Spirit would, uh, would, Lord, impress upon us what it is you would have us to know. And then, Lord, as we're in this very practical section in the book of Ephesians, would you give us the wisdom of how we might live out our faith in a practical manner? Lord, we, we ask that during the study that the body of Christ be edified, and, and most of all, Lord, uh, that you be glorified in our study of God's word. And so as we open the word together, speak to our hearts and minds as Satan tries to distract us and, and, uh, and Lord, get our attention in other places so we would not be able to focus on your word. We pray that you would remove those distractions in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's jump into Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to kind of walk through um, kind of verse by, by verse, the first 21 verses. And if we get caught up, then, then if we don't quite get there, that's fine. That's no problem. We'll pick up next week. Um, again, in, in chapter 4, every section we've looked at, the Apostle Paul starts the writing by saying, therefore. Uh, I've told you, you know, this kind of, it, it is a subordinating conjunction in the sense that it's what is about to be said is conditioned on what's been said previous, what's been said before. And so when the Apostle Paul says, therefore, the, the section he's about to go into is conditioned by what he's just taught us in the, um, in the passage previous to that. So we've been taught that we're to live in a new way of life. Last time we got together, we, we looked at that, that we're to live worthy of the call of being a Christian. We're to uh, live different, to live set apart, to live at peace with one another since we've been called to one body, one spirit, one faith, uh, one Savior. One God, and, uh, and so Paul says, therefore, in chapter 5, uh, then the instruction that's to come now is based on the condition that we are saved, that we are a new creation, that we are um, living in one, one body, unified as the body of Christ. And so uh, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. This is a beautiful passage. It's very, very practical. So Sonia and I, we have five children, and, and those of you that know us know our kids. Uh, but one of the things you notice as a parent is that your children will tend to imitate you. And so uh, what you see your kids do is a pretty good reflection of what they see you uh, do and what they see in you. And so what the Apostle Paul says, very practically spoken here, is that we ought to imitate God uh, the way that children imitate their fathers. And so God is our heavenly father, and therefore we ought to imitate him. So what we see in God, and, and the best picture of God for us, especially New Testament believers, is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God did not count equality with God to be something to grasp, according to Ephesians 2, I mean uh, Philippians 2. And so we see a picture of the life of Jesus, and in that picture of the life of Jesus, we see uh, a picture, a clear picture of who God is, and therefore we ought to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we will be imitating God. And that's what we're called to do as Christians, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. He continues this instruction of how we're to walk practically day by day uh, in verse 2 where he says, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and uh, fragrant offering to God. And so this just continues that we are to imitate God. Uh, how do we imitate God? Well, the best way is to imitate what we see in the life of Christ in the New Testament, in the Gospels, 
And one of the clear pictures is the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us, the love that he lavished and poured out upon us. Uh, a beautiful picture of this uh, is uh, found in John 1.18, of course, where uh, John is laying out for us how Christ came, uh, that even being in the form of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we see the love God has for us in, in the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, ascension, return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Christ loved others, and we've been called to do the same thing as the body of Christ, we are called to love one another. We're called to love others. In fact, St. Um, Augustine says, uh, has written that if you go to God's word, you should leave with two things. You should leave with a greater love for God, and you should leave with a greater love for your neighbor. And so Augustine says, if you go to God's word and you don't love God more and you don't love others more, when you leave it, you probably didn't read it right. And so here the Apostle Paul is kind of telling us the same thing. We are to imitate God as children imitate their parents. And the way we imitate God is to imitate Christ how, one, in the sacrificial love that God has for us in Christ, who came and gave himself for us, who, who went to a cross for us, who died the death, even death of a cross. I just uh, Philippians 2 is a beautiful passage. If you look at Philippians 2, if you want to see the sacrificial love that both God the Father and the Son have for us, you see how he emptied himself and became of no reputation and did not count staying in the form that he had been in for all eternity as something to hold on to, but was willing to, to empty himself to come and to take the form of a man so that he might die in our place. This is the beautiful picture of love that Christ has poured out upon us. We are to then share that love with others. We need to love others the way Christ loved us. And so we've, we've been talking about this. It seems like this is a common theme, and, and it really is in the book of Ephesians, that we are to look at the love that God has for us, that Christ has for us, and we're to then put that love in action in the way we treat other people. And so we talked last week a little about, man, if you look at how much we've been forgiven by God, then how much should we be willing to forgive other people? When our offenses toward God are so much greater than anyone's offenses toward us, then if God was willing to offend those great offenses of our own, if God was willing to forgive us of our sinfulness and disobedience and unrighteousness, then we too should be faithful to forgive others um, by, by loving them the way that God loved us. Um, now, verse 3, Paul starts getting into a list of um, things we need to uh, abstain from or, or avoid. And so I just want to remind you that Ephesus is a um, is kind of a a wild and immoral city, uh, a big, huge part of the Roman Empire. Uh, they worked; they had this huge temple uh, to Artemis the Great in, in Ephesus. And so uh, you'll remember that one time Paul gets drugged in the Book of Acts into the Colosseum or into the um, the arena in Ephesus, and they want to kill him uh, because they say that he is. Uh, talking against um, Artemis the Great. And, uh, and somehow Paul escapes this. Um, and, and we see that in the book of Acts. So, so the Ephesians are living in a city and in a time of great immorality. And so you have these Gentile believers who uh, have been born into families where they worship pagan gods. 
uh, where they participated in all type of immoral activity. And now all of a sudden they're hearing about Christ. They're putting their faith and trust in Christ. They're becoming a part of the body of Christ. And now the church has to instruct them how to live. And, and so they're like new babies in Christ. And so Paul's literally writing to uh, infants in Christ. They're, they're newly born again. And they have grown up in a society uh, where uh, pagan worship, the Roman gods were worshipped. And so Paul is about to list some things and say practically at church at Ephesus, these are some things you need to abstain from. And not only abstain from these things, but this is how you should live. And so we're talking about how practical this is. Verse 3, the Apostle Paul just lays it out. These are things to abstain from. And so they applied both to the, the believers in Ephesus. They apply to us today. Um, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. And, and so Paul says... The, these acts, the, these uh, egregious acts of disobedience toward God, there should not even be rumors that they take place among the, the church and amongst the believers in Ephesus. So the sexual immorality, it's got to stop. There shouldn't be any talk of it. Any impurity, greed that you have, you've got to place all those things aside. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit of God to... Um, uh, through the illumination of the Spirit, digging into the Word of God, having your mind renewed, being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, to abstain from immorality, to stay away from greed. Uh, why? Because uh, these kind of things shouldn't even be heard about among the saints. It's true today. Um, uh, now, we're not perfect people. I'm not trying to listen. Paul nowhere preaches a doctrine of perfection. But what Paul does teach is a doctrine of obedience. And so we're to be obedient to Christ, not only in what we believe, but in the practical application. How we live our life each and every day should be a testimony um, to what we believe. And so the first three chapters uh, of, of uh, Ephesians tells us this is what we believe is the Christian church. The last three, this is how you live that out. And so we're looking at just very practical things of how we live. One, stay away from sexual immorality. Two, stay away from greed. Um, these sins should not even be heard of among those who are the saints, among those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable. All right, so uh, he finishes this, this uh, verse by saying, but rather uh, giving thanks is what we should be doing. And so what Paul says is, watch your tongue, watch your mouth. Now, you'll remember that in the last passage, Paul basically says this, whatever you have to say, it should encourage and build others up. And so even if you're going to speak the truth, you have to do it in such a way to encourage and give hope to those that you're talking to. Paul continues that line of thinking about controlling our, our tongue and controlling our speech and what we say. And so he first lists these sins, sexual immorality and greed. And then he goes to stay away from obscene and foolish talking and crude jokes. And so I, I think if there's anything that is directly applicable to the, the society we live in today, this is one of those. I've just found um, that, um, that, that kind of growing up, and, and I was uh, pretty much in the sports scene through school, played 
played baseball through college and things like that, and she was always involved in sports. And one of the things that that um, that I, I noticed was uh, there seems to be a lot of um, you know crude jokes. Just um, it, it seems like they're never in short supply. And even in scriptural times, even as Paul is in, uh, giving instruction to uh, the Ephesians here, he says, uh, "Listen, stay away from obscene talk, from foolish talk, and stay away from crude jokes." Rather than being involved in these things, give thanks. So stop for a moment before you engage in obscene, foolish, or crude talk and begin to give thanks to God. This is what speech of a believer should look like. The way we talk should be always giving thanks to God. Um, you know, someone asks us how we do, and we, we ought to be doing good giving thanks to God that he's blessed us with another day. Um, and so... So Paul just addresses, I think, one of the primary issues we deal with today as believers and every believer in every generation from, from the second century all the way to the present day have dealt with trying to control the tongue and just practically living that out. It's a whole lot easier for me to say to you, listen, um, don't, don't trash talk, don't have foolish and obscene talk. But, but we get into habits of things, you have to break those habits. And so I just encourage you tonight, if, if you've ever been in the habit, if you've kind of picked up a habit, maybe from the time you were a child or, or a student, and, and you picked up the habit of uh, obscene talk and crude joking and things like that, um, then you really need to pray that God just take that desire away from you, take that habit away. Because our speech, people ought to know by the way we speak even, by the words we say to one another and by the words we say to those outside the body of Christ, they ought to know there's something different about us, even in the way we talk to one another and to others. And so rather than engaging in obscene and foolish talk or crude joking, we ought to be engaging in, um, in giving thanks to God. Right, so bringing glory to God. So remember that our primary goal is obedience to God. The reason is because the reason we even exist is to bring glory to God, to glorify God. And so we want our actions to glorify God. We want our speech to glorify God. And, and what Paul says is that when we begin to speak thanksgiving, when we begin to speak hope uh, to others, um, then God's glorified in that. Um, and this is hard to do. This is one of the hardest habits. I, I think there's to break. Scripture um, continually talks about how hard it is to tame the tongue. And, and anyone who thinks they've tamed it, watch out. Because uh, it, it is only God can tame our tongue. And so when our speech reflects thanksgiving and godliness, it is a clear demonstration to the world that we belong to Christ. And so I just encourage you, listen, watch what you say. Watch the way you say it, how you communicate with other people, the words you say to others. Let all of those things be uplifting and encouraging. Let them bring, give hope to people who seem hopeless. Um, and so let's watch our speech. This is what Paul says. So one, let's stay away from and abstain from sexual immorality and greed. And then secondly, watch what you say. Let's watch our tongue. And so the, the first two things Paul lays out here in the first four verses are to abstain from these activities, immoral activities, greed, greed and, and other types of activity that, that deal with pride and gain of our own. And then watch the way we talk. Watch the things we say. Let's, let's uh, try to harness our tongue in 
and to understand that we really need the help of the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us to uh, that our speech would be continually giving thanks to God. And so as Paul continues to talk to the Ephesians who are dealing with all types of immorality within the culture and the society around them in verse 5, he, he says this, uh, For know uh, and recognize this, every sexual, sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And it's just black and white. This is not my opinion. Uh, this is just exactly what Paul says. I'm not going to add or take away from it. Paul says this. If you can avoid, if you don't stay away from sexual immorality, greed, and this um, uh, talking uh, in such a crude and wicked way, then you can't, inter you can't inherit the kingdom of God. Essentially, here's what Paul's saying. You don't have the Holy Spirit of God living within you if you don't abstain from these things. If there's not a change in your nature, again, this isn't perfection. Right. We're all in different places in our walk with God, but hopefully none of us are where we started. Right? We're not who we need to be, but we're not who we used to be. And what Paul is saying is one of the ways to gauge our walk with Christ. How do I know that I'm saved? I know that I'm saved because I'm not the person I used to be. God is is changing me. God is transforming me. And the things that I used to fall victim to now by, by the help of the Holy Spirit of God and by the mercies of God. I no longer have to be bound in my sin, but I can be freed from my sin. And that's a process. Uh, but listen, if your desire is for greed and sexual immorality and crude and foolish talking, then Paul say, and the very fact that this is your heart's desire is evidence that something's wrong in your life. Something's going on wrong there. And it may stem from the fact that you really don't have the Spirit of God living within you, that you've really never given your life completely over to God, or God's never called you into relationship with Him. And so just to encourage you, listen, uh, watch the way you live. Evaluate your life based on your actions. If I really want to know the way I'm living for the Lord Jesus Christ, then it begins by doing some self-evaluation and determining, do I see changes in my life? Do I see changes in my desires? Um, and, and so when you see those things in your life, it's evidence that God's working. When you see the desire to change the way you speak, it's, you, you know, many people may think that's a small thing, but it's really not. The tongue is almost impossible to control. And so when I see myself having a burden for the way I talk and the way I speak and wanting to be an encouragement and to build other people up, then that's evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is doing a work in me. If my desire is to stay away from sexual immorality and to stay away from greed and the lust of the flesh, then that's evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is living within me doing a work in my life. And so I encourage you, for all of us, like we, we want hope and we want to know that that, that we have this relationship with God where God is transforming us, then that, that requires some self-evaluation to just stop and take a minute and look at my life and examine where, where I am before God. I, I did want to talk a little bit uh, about, at the very beginning of chapter 5 and verse 2, it, this notion of walking in love as Christ's love. And we sometimes talk about the Christian walk. And, um, I read a really great article um, uh, about why walking is is the perfect metaphor for um, the Christian life. 
us growing in Christ and maturing in Christ and developing spiritually. And so some people may ask the question, why is this? Why do we always talk about walking with God or our Christian walk? And I think there's at least three reasons. And again, from from an article I read, it just talks about the reasons a great metaphor is first walking is a continuous act in the same way that that being a Christian is a continuous act. In other words, it, it's kind of like putting one foot in front of the other. It, it, is, uh, it is a daily grind. It's a continuous process. And so to walk with God, to walk in love, is this continual process of just putting one foot in front of the other, loving other people, loving God. Um, and so we're striving to, to get better. We're striving to be more like Christ, not in our own strength, but, but in the very strength of God. And he's given us the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And if the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead, surely he can change my heart and transform me. And so this is the promise we have. The second reason we sometimes talk about our Christian walk and the attributes of walking is this. Walking reflects dependence. Uh, I, I said just a minute ago, um, you know, it's one foot in front of the other. And so to walk is dependent upon each foot taking the next step about the transfer of weight from one foot to the other, about the members of the body all working together. And so it's a beautiful metaphor, really, of not only individuals, but collectively the body of Christ walking together uh, in their call to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third thing is it's progressive. As I've been saying, it requires one step after another. Um, and you walk because you're going somewhere there's there's intent behind your walk and so my question to you is where are you going in your christian walk and that's why we talk about examining ourselves do i see this walk with god do i see where uh, my life is dependent upon him that that each day is like a new step and and it's progressive and a continuous thing where god's consistently and constantly changing my heart, renewing my mind, helping me to focus on what it means to walk for God or walk with God. And so just remember that if we're really going to advance um, the kingdom of God with the way we live our life, if we're going to do that, then we've got to be uh, about walking with God, this consistent day by day, even when I get knocked down, I get back up. Even when I mess up, I dust myself off, I repent, I turn from those mistakes, that I'm walking daily with God. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us to do. Abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from greed, abstain from foolish and obscene talk and crude jokes. Stay away from those things. Rather, have speech that is uplifting and encouraging, that brings hope to people who hear it. We, we ought to literally be building people up with our words. That doesn't mean that I can't speak the truth. I can speak the truth in love in such a way that it brings hope and encouragement to someone. Uh, what we do many times is we, we speak the truth to people, but we speak it harshly, and it, it robs people of hope, and it, ro it causes discouragement. And we can address one another. We can love one another, right? Uh, we can speak the truth even to one another in love in such a way that it brings hope to people, that it encourages people, that it lifts their spirits. And so I pray that, that that's the type of uh, talk that we will engage in as the body of Christ. When we speak this way, when we talk this way, 
it becomes so evident to the world that there's something different about us. When we, when we abstain from taking part in crude jokes, and when we abstain from foolish talk or idle talk or gossip, when we abstain from those things, we don't have to call other people out, but simply by our own actions, the way we speak to one another, it is a testimony to the goodness of God and our walk with God. And it's also a testimony to ourselves that God is working and transforming me into something I cannot be apart from him. And so, um, so like the Apostle Paul says in verse 5 of Ephesians 5, every sexual immoral, impure, greedy person who's an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Do you know based on the your actions, your thoughts, your motives, your speech, do you know that, that God is doing a work in your life, that the Holy Spirit of God is transforming you? And even though you're not who you need to be, you're certainly not who you used to be. And you can see the progress of where the Lord Jesus Christ is working in and through your life by his Holy Spirit. And so we're walking with God. Uh, then, then Paul begins to change metaphors a little bit. So he's, he's talk, this has been talking about walking in love. And then all of a sudden in verse 6, he begins to talk to us about walking in the light. So walking in light rather than darkness. And so verse 6, just, let's just go through the verses. Uh, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. It's just a warning. Uh, be aware there are false teachers out there. There are people that are out there that are teaching a gospel that just simply is not the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so be aware. Um, God is aware. And God will deal with that. Uh, make sure that you understand the gospel enough to know what we believe, enough to know our doctrinal positions so that you know when someone's trying to sell you a counterfeit gospel or, or a counterfeit faith because a false gospel cannot save you. Only the, the true gospel saves. Only Jesus Christ, who is the truth, saves. And so let's be sure that we understand there are people out there that are seeking to deceive others. Uh, but God will handle that. Verse 7, therefore do not become their partners. So we need to abstain from that. Verse 8, and I just want to read verse 8 through 14 as we think about this concept of walking in the light. Walking in light, abstaining from darkness. Therefore do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. And I just want to caution you there. We're going to come back to that notion of exposing things and how the light exposes, the truth exposes that which is false. And, and I want to share that. I, I want to make sure you understand the context that that's in. Exposing them. Verse 12, For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I simply would say this. Um, Jesus Christ declared himself to be the light of the world. Uh, he is also the way, the truth, and the life. And so if, if we belong to Christ, then, then we belong to the light of the world. I would tend to say this in the same way that the uh, that the moon reflects the sun 
believers should reflect Christ. Um, Paul starts this passage and starts this chapter by telling us that we're to be imitators of God. And so if God is light, then we need to imitate that which is light. And so it's literally reflecting the image of God in our life to others. That when I walk in such a way that I'm being obedient to God, that my life reflects um, the life of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 in this chapter lets us know that if we want to imitate God, we imitate Christ. He is the light of the world. So if I'm walking in light, then my life should reflect Jesus Christ in the same way that the moon reflects the sun. Now, this, uh, it's a beautiful metaphor here that Paul uses because the only way that the moon can reflect the sun is when the moon is in, direct, uh, in the direct path of the sun. So the moon cannot reflect that which it is not in. And so in order for the moon to reflect the sun, it has to actually be in the sunlight so that it might reflect that light. In the same way, we cannot reflect uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot imitate God in our life and be a reflection of him if we're not walking with him, if we're not walking in the very light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do I become a child of light? How do I become one who imitates God? Well, I have to walk and follow the precepts and the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I do that, people see something different in me. They begin to see a reflection of the image of God in my life. Remember that the Lord uh, God, he created us in his image and sin distorted that image to, to such a degree that, um, that now it requires the Holy Spirit of God to begin to um, mold and to shape us back into such a way that we are image bearers of God. Now, listen, I'm not saying that the image of God was completely destroyed in the world by sin. But it was completely distorted by sin. And so now when God begins to transform us and mold us into his image so we can reflect both the life and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, when people see us and see a reflection of the image of God, immediately there's something different about us. Now when it talks about the light exposing, um, that the light makes everything visible and exposes everything, this does not mean that we should go around telling everybody, exposing everyone's sin. That's, that's not what this passage is about. What it means is that, that it makes everything visible in light is this. Uh, boy, I don't know. The, I, I hope that this is something you can understand, but not because you're experiencing it right now. But um, if you've ever uh, had, to, uh, had a pest problem, let's just say roaches, right? As soon as the light comes on, they scurry to hide. They scurry to get, get out of there. Why? Because the light exposes them. And so when we reflect the light of God, there's not, there's not one thing we have to say. We don't have to go around pointing our fingers, wagging our hands at people, hitting people over the head with our Bible, but simply, just simply living in the light of Christ, it exposes their sin to themselves. They see their own sin. Now, some people may say, well, that, Bruce, you're talking about lifestyle evangelism. Just live for God and others will see God in you and that will lead to salvation. No, the gospel is what leads to salvation. It's the gospel that has the power to save. And ultimately, we are going to have to share the gospel with people and give them the truth, not just in deeds, but in words. But what scripture is talking about right here is that if I live in such a way 
that I reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like someone flipping on a light switch in a house full of roaches where they scurry and run from the light because they've been exposed. The same is true simply by the way we live our life. And so those who are not willing to conform uh, to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ, the will of God, when we're walking that way, the light of our life reflecting the image of God will expose their own sinfulness to themselves. And there will be one or two things that, that happen. What I found in my own personal life is typically when I'm living the way I should for God, reflecting the very light of God to others, is that there's two reactions. One reaction is that people will come to repentance. That if we're living the way we should live before Almighty God, then those who are not, when they see the light of God in our life, when they, they, they see the reflection and the image of God in our life, and it, the light shines upon their life, then they come to the awareness that it's time for them to change. It's time for them to turn back to God or to turn to God for the first time through Jesus Christ. And so one possible outcome uh, by those who are not living in obedience to God is that by our obedience to God exposing the light of God upon them it may bring them to repentance God may actually use our life and his light in order to use us as a tool uh, to um, to be able to, to to walk with someone into repentance and into discipleship and that's an awesome and a beautiful thing to see happen the second reaction we might see from those who are not living the way they, they should is that like roaches who run when the light is spread upon them is that they will, they'll run, they'll flee. Uh, I've had several people come and go out of my life not because I was being judgmental on them but simply because God was dealing with their hearts and they weren't willing to repent. They weren't willing to to change and so they they counted the cost and the cost was too much and therefore they could not be comfortable in the light of God they could not be comfortable in the reflection of God and so the way we live our life is powerful I mean it is amazing how God can use the life of someone who's simply obedient to him and so you may feel like that you're going unnoticed. You may feel like that you don't really understand what God's plan is for you. And what I want you to understand is that if you're living a life of obedience for God, God is using your life. God notices. God sees. God has plans. And God desires to use your life of obedience to reflect the light of truth onto others so that it might lead them into a uh, a state of repentance a state of turning back toward God or even someone who's never known God of seeing a difference in your life you being set apart from the world and simply your life it it opens the door for an opportunity for you to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel absolutely has the power to save and so we are to be children of the light but again you cannot reflect something that you are not in the presence of. And if you're not in the presence of the light and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are not in the presence of the light and the love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can't reflect his light and you can't reflect his love to the world around you. And so I really want to just 
encourage you. What Paul is saying is you've got to be in close, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you have to be depending upon the Spirit daily, walking in the Spirit of God, walking under the complete influence of the Spirit of God so that the image of God is reflected through your life to others. And then that light, not your words, not your finger pointing, not your wagging your Bible at people, but simply living the truth of God will open the door for you to be able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or others will see the image of God in you and it will cause them to leave. It'll cause them to kind of shy away from you. And so, well, so this is, you know, this, this is a consequence of walking in a manner that's different from the world. Is that there will be people that we get to see God transform and change. And we get to take part in that. God doesn't need us, but it's certainly awesome that God's willing to use us to take part in that. While at the same time, there'll be those that you love and you really care for that will walk away from you because they're not willing or ready to change the way they live. And so if we're going to walk in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to allow the light of Christ to be what exposes that which is done in the darkness, then uh, we definitely have to be walking under uh, the the anointing under the leadership under the guidance under the conviction under the comfort of the holy spirit of god the the last part of this passage that i want to deal with is verses 15 through 21 and in this passage the apostle paul is talking about living um, a consistent life for christ living in such a way that i'm consistently growing i'm consistently uh, imitating god i'm consistently reflecting the image of god uh, practically how do we do that the apostle paul lays that out for us and this is the last passage uh, i do want to cover uh, tonight in our study of ephesians uh, verse 15 says then pay careful attention then to how you live not as unwise people but as wise so he, here's the first tip uh, again, Paul doesn't hold any punches, and he doesn't hide it in uh, enigmatic writing. He just plainly states it. This is very black and white, very practical in 4, 5, and 6. Here, Paul just tells us, pay attention. Like, always be aware. Uh, notice what's going on around you. Look at the, the situations you're putting yourself in. Be careful how you live your life. Walk in a way, make dis decisions in such a way that you might live for the glory of God, that, that you might live in such a way that edifies the body and, and glorifies the head of the body, Jesus Christ. So what, what, is, what is a very practical step in living for God and being consistent in our Christian walk? Pay attention to how you live and to live as wise people, not as unwise people. And so we have to sit down and we have to ask ourselves some, some questions like, what are some things I need to protect myself? I need to put some safeguards up in my life. What are temptations that I find myself sometimes um, submitting to or that are, are overtaking me? And what are some steps I can take practically to avoid that? Um, and so what, you know, if someone has, say, a pornography addiction, then one of the things they, they need to do is take some practical steps. Put a um, some type of uh, software on your computer, on your phones, where it doesn't allow you to visit these type of sites. 
and have someone who's an accountability partner. So just pay attention, take care, be wise, take some steps to ensure that you're not putting yourself in situations that can leave you vulnerable. And so Paul says, if you want to walk in the light, if you want to walk in such a way that you're imitating God, then pay attention to how you're living. This is very practical. This is very much uh, almost a common sense approach to, to a way to be consistent in our Christian walk. And that is this. Pay attention. Be careful. Live as a wise person, not as unwise. Verse 16 is a beautiful passage. It just says this is short, but it's packed full. Uh, making the most of the time because the days are evil. And look, what, what's Paul saying there? Very clear, right? Don't waste your life. Get up and do something that has eternal significance. Many times it's like we're just waiting around for the next um, you know, uh, shoot a fall. We're just kind of waiting around to see what it is God wants us to do. Listen, be wise, be in constant um, communication through the reading of God's word, through prayer, through meditation, listening to what God may be speaking to you through the advice of others and good Christian counsel. Uh, but then get up and do something, right? Uh, being a Christian is an active process. It is actively engaging in the way that we walk with believers and unbelievers. What are some ways that I can impact my world for the good of the kingdom of God? And then to get up, to get off the bench and to get onto the playing field. And so Paul says, listen, make the most of your time. Understand that time is a, it's a limited resource on this side of eternity. We, we have no idea how much time we have left. This isn't a scary thought for the believer because for the believer, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We know these things. And so uh, Paul's saying that we only have a limited, finite period of time to make a difference for the kingdom of God uh, in this present reality. So let's don't waste the time we have. Don't waste your life. Let your life mean something. Let your life stand for something. And so find out what it is that God's given you a desire and a passion for where God has gifted you and equipped you and begin putting that to use for the kingdom of God. We, we live in evil times. That's what Paul says. The days are evil. We live in days that are evil. They always have been and they continue to be. But we might be about being a change agent where we're bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth, not because of anything we have to offer God, but because of what God has already given to us and then called us and equipped us to carry out on his behalf. So make the most of your time. Don't waste your, your day. Uh, continues and says, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is, listen, it, get up and do something, but make sure... You get up and do what it is God's called you to get up and do. Right? We've got to be about the kingdom work. And God's given us all a calling and all a gift, all talents, all passions. And so we need to look in our life and understand we want our life to count for something. So we look and we find out, God, what have you called me to? What is the work that you've given me a passion and a desire for? And then don't waste your life. Be about that. We live in evil days where, where men's days are cut short. People aren't promised tomorrow, and we need to be about the work of the kingdom of God, whether it be at the workplace, the marketplace, the schoolhouse, or in my own house. And so be about um, the work of God. Verse 17 says, don't be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is or the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Now, this is something I want to just take a second and, and hit on and address, and that's this. Uh, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit in this context? And here's, first, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit as an individual believer? It literally means that we are to walk under the Spirit's influence. That for me to live in the Spirit is to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. To allow the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to direct. Um, so if I really want to live in the Spirit of God, walking under the, the leadership and in the will of God then I have to be someone who is open to the influence of the Spirit of God. In this particular case, it's, it's remember Paul's writing to the church. And when this passage here says, be filled with the Spirit, it's not talking to individuals. In fact, this um, to be filled here in the Greek is a plural. And so it's literally, literally referring to the assembly, to the, to the church, to the multitude of people that we are to live filled with the Spirit. That as an assembly of God, as the body of Christ, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all to walk under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And when the whole church, the whole body, the, this one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, when all of us are walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, it's then that the church can be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's then that we are, are seeing the impact of the Spirit of God because we're all walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit, not only as individuals, but collectively as the body of Christ. This is what Paul's saying to the church at Ephesus, to the entire church, church, be filled with the Spirit. All of you, the plurality, not just one of you, but all of you be filled with the Spirit. And so all of you to walk under the influence and the leadership, being obedient and submissive to the Spirit of God. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus. And it's the same instruction that we need to take away as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. That if we're going to be a church filled with the Holy Spirit, it requires all of the body doing their part all in submission and in, in, in the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And so here's what I want you to see. This picture of verse 19 through 21 is a picture of worship. That we are to um, preach to one another. We are to minister to one another. We are to sing to one another. We are to worship collectively. So we all come together under the submission and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Filled by the Spirit. The church is. And then it is in worship. That our tanks begin to be filled. It's, it's, it's in the act of worship. And corporate worship specifically. That God begins to, to fill our tanks. So that when we walk outside of the church door. We might have the ability. To fill other people's tanks. That we might be able to sing to others. That we might be able to lift others up. That we might be able to give thanks always for everything Christ Jesus, submitting to one another. 
And so it's this act of worshiping together and ministering to one another that the Apostle Paul lays out here in Ephesians verses 19 through 21. And so here, here's what's the takeaway. What's, what's, so the, the, the entire chapter is very practical. All right, here are the practical things Paul says, just kind of bullet point practical, beginning at the very beginning of chapter 5. We are to imitate God in the same way that children imitate their earthly parents. We're to walk in love, the same kind of love that Christ has for us. And he demonstrated that kind of love for us when he went to the cross, took our place, was our substitution, substitutionary atonement, became my propitiation, my payment for my sins so that my debt was paid in full to God for the, the unrighteous and sinful decisions that I'd make in my life. That's the same way I'm to love other people. Christ loved me unconditionally. Christ loved me when I didn't deserve it. Christ loved me when I was most unlovable. And we are to love others unconditionally. You know, people need to be loved the most when they deserve it the least from a human perspective. It's when people fail and when people fall that they really need to be loved the most. And if there's any group of people on the face of the earth that should recognize this, know this, and practice this, it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we were at our weakest, when we were at our most vulnerable, when we were at uh, a point in our life where we were most wicked, separated from God by our sin, God loved us enough that he allowed his son 2,000 years ago to die in our place so that we might have life. And if Christ loved us that manner, if Christ forgave us of that much, then how much should we be willing to forgive others? Um, and it's when you come to the appreciation of how much Christ loved you that you can finally begin to appreciate what your call is to love others. He goes on and he says, abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from greed. Stay away from foolish, idle, tall, crude jokes. Listen, don't allow your mouth to become a trash can where all that comes out is trash and filth. But rather, allow your speech to be in thanksgiving, to giving thanks, to giving hope and encouragement to other people. Paul continues on and says, listen, if we can't do this, like, if, if we're not living in this manner, if we have no desire to live in this manner, if our desire is rather to be sexually immoral, if our desire is to be impure, if our desire is to be greedy people, then we have no place in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Then Paul moves on to verses 6 through 14 where, where Paul talks about this. We are uh, to walk in the light. At one time we walked in darkness and now we're to walk in the light. How do we walk in the light? Well, we have to spend time in the light. If we're going to reflect the light of Jesus Christ, we have to be in the presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. We have to come before the very throne of God in Christ Jesus um, through the very um, sealing of the Holy Spirit of God and indwelling of the Spirit of God in our life. And then we can reflect that light which we gaze upon. Again, I think a great illustration is the way the moon reflects the sun. And when the only way the moon reflects the sun is if the moon is in the direct light of the sun. It can then reflect it. In the same way, 
We're to be in the presence of God. We're to come into the very presence of God. We're to live our life in such a way that we're walking with God. Then as we're in the very presence of the glory and the light of God, it's then that we can shine the light of God, that we can be imitators of God, that we can live in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul tells us in verses 15 through 21 that we need to make the most of our time, um, that there's no time to waste, that people are dying every day, that the kingdom of God has come and the church is a part of God's um, administering, uh, taking the good news of the kingdom to people. And we need to find out what it is God's called us to do and then we need to get busy doing it and, uh, and then uh, being filled with the Spirit of God. We need to all be under the very influence, leadership, guidance, and submission to the Holy Spirit. And then when we do that collectively and corporately as the body of Christ, when we assemble together, now we, the church, can be filled with the Spirit of God. And when our tanks are filled, when we are filled, right, when, when we have just been in the presence of God in such a corporate way, then we can be an encouragement to other people. When our tanks are full, we can help fill other people's tank. When, when we've been walking with, in the presence and, and in the intimacy and in in a personal walk with God, then we're able to share that intimacy and personal love that Christ has for us, that God has for us, that the Holy Spirit of God embraces us in with those who desperately need to be loved. And so Paul calls us to do that. Remember that worship will fill your tank so that you might be able to fill the tank of others. Um, we need each other as the body of Christ. Desperately, we need to come together, unified in one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to come together under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God so that we can walk out of our church buildings on Sundays and Wednesdays and every other day of the week and into a world that's lost, dying, and hurting, and be a light to them. I pray that God would continue to speak to your heart, and that he would show you how you might put these um, uh, passages into very practical use in your daily walk with him. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll close. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you that you loved us when we were most unlovable. We thank you that you showed us grace when we least deserved it. And so we pray that you would help us to in turn love others unconditionally when they may feel like they deserve it the least. And in so doing, they may see Christ in us. Lord, help us to not waste the day, but to be about the work of the kingdom of God. Whatever it is you've called us to be, wherever it is you've called us to go, and whatever it is you've called us to do, Make it very clear upon our hearts and our minds. And then, Lord, help us to be about that work. And, Lord, we pray that we would be under submission to your Holy Spirit, under the influence of your Holy Spirit, and that we might come together as the body of Christ corporately, that we might be filled with the very Spirit of God so that we might take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are all around us and to the very ends of the earth. And we ask it in the precious, holy, beautiful, and powerful name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior. Amen.